Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about Trump and Limbaugh, why the hate. Sam Faddis joins me to talk about rescuing America, education instilling tribalism, and join the America tribe. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. America Can We Talk is sponsored by GC Works, a Dallas-based company performing advanced technology research in the oil and gas industry. Hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Yesterday, we did a brief tribute to Rush Limbaugh, just an icon in American history, a true thought leader for generations in America. And I wanted to do the first five take to talk about the question of why it is that both Rush Limbaugh as well as President Trump generate so much visceral anger among leftists in this country. I want to first start, though, with a brief clip. This is Rush Limbaugh speaking at CPAC in the year 2009. I want to play his clip and then talk about what is it in America that would cause people to listen to those messages and feel just filled with anger toward Rush Limbaugh. Let me tell you who we conservatives are. We love people. When we look out over the United States of America, when we are anywhere, when we see a group of people such as this or anywhere, we see Americans, we see human beings. We don't see groups, we don't see victims, we don't see people we want to exploit. What we see, what we see is potential. We do not look out across the country and see the average American, the person that makes this country work, we do not see that person with contempt. We don't think that person doesn't have what it takes. We believe that person can be the best he or she wants to be if certain things are just removed from their path, like onerous taxes, regulations, and too much government. We want every American to be the best he or she chooses to be. We recognize, we recognize that we are all individuals. We love and revere our founding documents, the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. We believe that the preamble of the Constitution contains an inarguable truth, that we are all endowed by our Creator with certain inalienable rights, among them life. Liberty, freedom. And the pursuit of happiness. Now. 
You know, that clip of Rush Limbaugh, obviously during the last few days as people are mourning his passing and commenting all the greatness that he contributed to American political conversation, many people have pulled up that particular segment of his CPAC speech. And I listened to it, a more lengthy portion this morning. I read it, I read a transcript of portions of it. And it really is, if you step back and recognize what he's talking about are the basic ideas of America, the notion of rights from God to the individual simply because you were born, the very beginning of the Declaration of Independence, love of fellow Americans, respect for fellow Americans, and just an abiding wish that every person has opportunity in their lives to pursue their own version of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. These are such noble mainstream and main street America ideas, and yet his words, Rush Limbaugh's words, and his shows over the many years fill liberals, and I like to use the word liberals, leftists with rage, just outraged at his popularity, at him and his messages. And it's the same kind of visceral reaction leftists have to President Trump, just can barely contain their anger. And they turn to the tactic of labeling Rush and President Trump and many outspoken conservatives. They immediately, the leftists immediately revert to calling them racist, sexist, xenophobe, homophobe, some other ugly name. And they do it because they want to so attach those names, those labels to them, that the people who follow the leftists won't even listen to what they're saying. And yet the America is full of people who have said, especially after Russia's passing, said, you know, I thought he was terrible. I tuned in because I heard this terrible guy was on and saying terrible things. And I realized about halfway into his show, man, he's right. He's so good about things. But I want to talk in this first five just briefly today to recognize what the leftists are doing to this country. As we've been talking about on this show for weeks and months and really years, is there is a growing effort for a Marxist takeover of America, a takedown of America as founded and replacing it with an America that is government controlled, that is a Marxist leaning toward communist kind of society. This is where the political trend has been the American left. What outrages leftists about people like Rush Limbaugh and President Trump and many other conservatives is that they're saying things are true about America, our respect, our love for all of, all of our fellow Americans, respect for the individuality. This message grates away at or bumps heads with what the leftists are trying to instill in America. Leftists use race and tribalism to instill division within American society to encourage Americans, especially people of color, to think that everybody else is against them, people are against them and they don't like them. And it is a tool, as we've been talking about for weeks, it's a tool of the leftists to divide America along the lines of race and cause those Americans to be suspicious and resentful of each other, to, to not believe in the idea of America, and then to vote for the leftist government, the leftist mentality that says, don't worry, we'll save you from all these other Americans who hate you. The entire leftist agenda is driven by division and accumulation of power. And they are, that is, it outrages them that people like Rush Limbaugh and President Trump and others reverse that or reject that whole picture of America that they're trying to create. 
So where we are in 2020, we had massive, you know, extraordinary election period in 2020. I said many, many times we're choosing between America or not America. It's not Republican versus Democrat. It's not even really left versus right. It's America the free or America the Marxist. And the outcome of the election or the person who's sitting in the Oval Office right now was the choice of America the Marxist. And I still, and I will continue talking about this, we still have an obligation in America to insist that we try to get to the bottom of the allegations of election fraud. The vote fraud ones, which refers to the actual physical ballot issues, and then the electronic election fraud. Both of those issues are ones which the American people are, are owed. They have, a, they have a right to have an investigation, an actual court look at it, and get to the answer. We also have to think about what we do now, given that the election fraud worked in 2020. We had, we had the Marxist takeover seem to have been implemented by the election. And so when we, we're going to have a guest joining us in a moment, Sam Faddis, and he's going to be talking about a lot of issues, um, and I'll introduce him in a moment. But I want to wrap up the first five by saying this. I think in 2020, the American voters chose America the free. That's what happened. They chose America the free. They rejected America the Marxist. But where we are right now in 2020, 2021, is deciding, well, how do we go forward given the government we live under, the amazing, just within the first four weeks of the Biden administration, amazing effort to push uh, leftism in a, in a broad, in, in many, many ways, silencing free speech, talking about uh, domestic terrorism should be expanded, the definition should be expanded to shut down people challenging the election outcome, challenging the, the uh, legitimacy of the current presidency. We have, a, we have abandonment at the border. We have, we have a whole bunch of rulings we've been talking about in many, um, many different shows recently where the left is marching out of their agenda very quickly. So we're going to be talking about what Sam Faddis is in a moment is this idea of what do we do to hold on to America, or I say uh, to rescue America, to try to get America back on track, given that what occurred in 2020 was, was it the apparent victory of the Marxist element of the American left. It could not be a more important time to be politically involved and to recognize that your involvement now, not waiting until the fall of 2022 to figure out who you might want to support for Congress or any other race, but getting involved now, it may make all the difference in whether we can actually turn America around, right the American ship, put it back on the uh, course toward freedom and the founding ideas of America. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. So we have joining us Sam Faddis, and some of you might be thinking, I know I know that name. I'm just going to introduce, uh, introduce you a bit to him, and then we'll have him join us. He's joining us via Skype, so you'll see him in a moment. Um, he's a form, First of all, if you recognize his name, he's a, a prolific writer. He has columns in all sorts of great places, and A&D Magazine's one of them, and you'll hear more about that. Uh, he's a former CIA operations officer, uh, 30 years experience in the conduct of intelligence operations in the Middle East, South Asia, and Europe. Last assignment prior to retirement in May of 2008 was as the head of CIA's Terrorist Weapons of Mass Destruction Unit she took the first CIA team into Iraq in the summer of 2002 in advance of the invasion of that country. He's worked extensively in the field of law enforcement, local security forces, special operations teams. Since retirement, he's been uh, written uh, extensively, providing training in a wide variety of government and private entities. And the reason I'll tell you I want to invite him on and talk to you is 
I was on a call with some people who are concerned about America in the future and you know, what to do about a political party. Should we try to fix the Republican Party? Should we have a third party? All sorts of issues being discussed. Uh, but I was glad to see as part of that call because my husband and I have been fans of his writing, his clarity, his uh, he's, he's just a, really a, a, an American treasure. So without further ado, I want to introduce, we have Sam Battis joining us today. Hello, sir. Thanks for having me. That's the first time I think I've been called a treasure. I'll write oh, that well, there down. Okay, you can quote me. Yeah. Okay. Well, I wanted to start with, you know, you actually, I meant to mention also introducing you, you ran for Congress uh, at, back in 2016 against Sandy Hoyer, which had to be in the great state of Maryland, which had to be a challenge. We used to live in Maryland before we lived in Texas, and um, it's a pretty Democrat uh, state. So that was brave of you to stand up and, and at least do that run. But you know how hard it is to run a campaign, especially in an arena with a, against a long-term incumbent, name recognition, widespread, um, and who's not even within the left in the world of Washington viewed as particularly a radical leftist. He's kind of a stalwart of the party, but so I commend you for that. That, that was an amazing effort. Um, but you've been working now in, in Pennsylvania. You're in Pennsylvania. And you've been working on the ground in Pennsylvania. And what we were talking about in this call that I want to get into was what has to happen in America to right the ship, I mean, at the local level, what do you have to do, activists have to do to fight back what seems to have been the just massive leftist takeover of America, at least at the very top of the federal level in Washington. So what are you doing in Pennsylvania to counter that? Well, you said something when you were doing your opening monologue that really resonated with me because you made reference to the fact that, you know, can't wait till the fall of the next election year and then limit this to just trying to decide who you're going to vote for. Uh, people say all the time democracy is not a spectator sport. That's absolutely true. But that goes way beyond voting. I mean, it, it, what you can't do is sit back, watch the leftists go out, put on their brass knuckles, do the hard work and set the stage for winning another round of elections or stealing another round of elections, depending on how you want to look at it. And then the day after it all happens, start complaining, which I think, to be blunt, is where a lot of people have ended up. So that's not the answer here. The answer is you got to be involved right now. And to start with, you have to be involved with whether you run it, you can run yourself. If you're not running yourself, you got to be involved at the grassroots level, literally at the precinct and county chair level of ensuring that the folks who are there on our side of this fight are in fact the right people and they're in the fight. That doesn't mean the local state senator who shows up every once in a while at a barbecue and gives you bland assurances of what he's doing for you in the state capitol. That means holding them accountable, making clear when you're not dissatisfied, and if you are dissatisfied, then challenging them, replacing them making the apparatus and the machine do what you want it to do. Is that possible? It is 100% possible. That's exactly what the folks on the other side of this are doing all day, every day. But if you stand around and just watch, then you're going to be complaining in another two years uh, and we're not going to have changed anything. It's a, it's a roll up your sleeves, old school shoe leather kind of thing, just blood, sweat and tears. That's all it is. 
I love that answer and about the, how hardworking people have to be. You know, we talk about uh, in, uh, many people pay attention and only really vote in presidential elections. And the next kind of tier of voters vote, well, okay, presidential and maybe in the off years, you know, the, the every two years of vote because all of Congress is up. But the elections that occur at all sorts of levels actually end up shaping our future. One thing we mentioned in that one call, which I, I really resonate with me, is even county party chairmanships. Because right here in Texas, and I think everywhere, we have county party chairman and the difference between an activist, hardworking, get out there, stir up the people, get them out to knock on doors or whatever needs to be happening that week, and someone who is a kind of got the job because they were waiting in line long enough and, and you know they're a really nice person, the difference between an activist GOP chair and a do nothing or show up on election day chair can make all the difference in every single county in America. Your thoughts? Yeah, well, I think you've, once again, you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, to bring this down to brass tacks, because I always do better focusing on concrete examples. In the state of Pennsylvania, there was an act passed last year, Act 77. That act allowed no excuses mail-in voting in Pennsylvania. There were subsequent things that happened, but that act is what set the stage for and enabled everything that then happened in the presidential election in Pennsylvania. It was passed by a Republican-controlled House and a Republican-controlled Senate. Okay, that's bad enough, but all right, we saw what happened. The legislature's back in session. It's still under GOP control. One would assume, therefore, that the first action of this GOP-controlled legislature is to fix that mistake, repeal that bill, and take us back to in-person voting. You would think nothing else would go on the schedule until that had been In fact, the official position of the state party, GOP, in Pennsylvania, as communicated down about a week, 10 days ago now, is that there will be no effort to repeal Act 77, and in their words, we must learn to live with it. This is the product of exactly what you just said, a bunch of do-nothing committee chair people who are just going along with an establishment that is not in the fight. So what is happening now in Pennsylvania, in my county and across the state, quite frankly, is now you have an effort by the grassroots folks to say, no, we're taking, we're replacing everybody at the precinct and county level with somebody who will fight. And they're going to Harrisburg and there's no way on earth we're living with this. The way this works is we tell you what to do. You don't dictate to us from the state capital. That's not how an American system of democracy functions. We the people will tell you what you're going to do. I love that answer. And on Act 77 and similar things, the most astonishing thing is I'm going to guess the reason that many legislators say that we have to live with that is because they know if they try to change it, if they do any proposal of modification to that, where they reduce the reasons that are permissible to get a mail-in ballot, somebody on the left will accuse them of being racist, of trying to suppress the vote, that the usual accusations the left has a litany of them ready, ready to launch. And so those accusations come and the legislators can see that's what's coming. And they think, you know what? I'd rather disappoint the grassroots who are kind of upset with me and want me to do something than risk the incoming fire that will come from the left. There's bravery needed, in, in especially with respect to election integrity. If you don't have the bravery to take the slings and arrows, then you shouldn't serve. 
Amen. And look, this applies across the board. I mean, so it is a standard tactic tactic now in all aspects of society to attack someone and accuse them of being racist and or, or to force something down their throat uh, and assume they will accept it because they're terrified of being called racist. So we have entire training courses and curricula now predicated on the idea that white Americans of Western European descent, Eastern European descent, are somehow inherently bad and evil, and uh, they are in effect the problem. It is the most blatant racist ideology you can think of. If you were to replace the word white with black, it would sound precisely like something some segregationist would be spouting to you in 1950 in the Old South. It is, it is overt, institutionalized racism where people are coming to you and saying, based on the color of your skin, I'm going to subject you to this. And people swallow it for fear of being accused of being racist, when in effect what they should say is, look, I believe in the equality of everybody, regardless of ethnicity and color of skin. I thought that's what we were fighting for. And I'm not going to be subjected to anything based on my ethnicity any more than I would tolerate my coworker being subjected to something because he happens to be black or Asian. Uh, stand up and refuse it. It is in most cases blatantly illegal to begin with to do these things. And yet people won't do that. And we, that's that's a major hump you have to get over. It's like, look, you can call me any name you want. I, I'm not I'm not doing anything other than assist, insisting on equality, and I have no intention of changing. Love that answer. And I will say, someone actually of your stature, you are. I mean, as a as I mentioned to our listeners, you are a well known writer, national level. People love to hear the latest column, whatever you've got out. And you, as someone of your stature and connections in Washington and involvement as a CAA operative for thirty years. You could be doing a lot of things, and you're down the grassroots level in Pennsylvania saying this has to change. Precinct chairs have to change. County party chairs have to change. The grassroots need to tell elected officials what's what, what you are going to pass, what we'll tolerate or not. I, I think it just it speaks volumes about what is needed at the state level in every red state across the country, maybe blue states too, but red states across the country. The people who have uh, who have the energy and passion for America need to be involved. One other thing we didn't get into that call I wanted to mention, at least it happens in Texas, which is there's kind of a understood pecking order and a lot of consultants in the Republican uh, political world will say, well, you know, that they, they kind of cultivate a, a litany of people or a small group of people they believe are acceptable as candidates. And so when you want to, for example, the grassroots say, well, we think so-and-so in Congress, so-and-so is a state senator, state rep, you know, he never fights, she never fights, they don't do the right thing, we want to get somebody else in. There's a lot of pressure that says, you know, that the Republican Party, we've got it all figured out. You know, we know the best candidate and this person, nah, they're not going to fly. This person's probably not right. And so you get told as grassroots people that you really don't have a role in selecting candidates. And part of, I think, the power of the grassroots is, because as they always say, at the end, everyone get, only gets one vote. The grassroots saying, no, actually, establishment class ruling, you know, the, the consultant class we need a better candidate. Just guys out, this guy's in. Do you guys have to approach the deal with that in your state too, in Pennsylvania? Well, that, that is the fight. You've described exactly where the struggle is. The, you know, what, what we now have is a lot of folks who got very energized in 2016, and not just because Donald Trump is running. I mean, I, this movement is not 
just about Donald Trump. Donald Trump is a standard bearer, the guy who tapped into a lot of resentment that's been building up for a lot of years. And you've got these folks who are who are absolutely determined, myself uh, being one, we're not going back to pre-2016 politics. At the same time, you got a lot of establishment characters who very much just want to kind of turn the page and go back to business as usual. We have a U.S. state senator in Pennsylvania, Senator Toomey. Senator Toomey is the ultimate old school guy that we're talking about. He is yeah. actually not running for re-election. He announced he's stepping down. He's one of the seven uh, Republican senators who voted to impeach the president of the United States, by the way. All right. Well, that's great. Toomey's leaving. But if you just watch the movie and don't get involved, the guy who replaces Toomey will be indistinguishable from him. Toomey 2.0. Different name, but the same swamp creature. So that's, that's another battlefront here. That cannot be allowed to happen. Somebody who's going to go to D.C., and fight for average Americans needs to go down there. Yeah, love that. And also want to mention, you had a couple pieces that are available on our website, and I'm sure on yours also, but at our website, americacanwetalk.org, we have pieces by Sam Faddis, one was in Newsmax, um, and it was about the, um, called Next Step in Democracy's Destruction, Enduring Election Fraud. And basically the notion that people who are activists, it is about finding right candidates, it's about standing up for the ideas, but it's also that, that we believe in, but it's also the idea that we need to be activists in telling Congress, and is, even though we seem to have Democrat control in Washington, telling Congress that we are not going to accept H.R. 1, which is the Democrats' Permanent Vote Fraud Enablement Act, that's what I've been calling it, but it is an act that would force states to put in place policies that that are election fraud, that, that constitute election fraud, that have permitted election fraud, and then as a parallel thing within state legislatures, push election integrity. Are you working on that also in Pennsylvania? Yeah, absolutely. Well, so I've mentioned Act 77 before, which took us to no excuse mail-in voting. If folks are not aware by this point, you have to understand no excuse mail-in voting is fundamentally different from absentee ballots. Absentee ballots were used in a limited number of cases, specific exceptions, and a whole series of safeguards to guarantee that we know whose ballot is coming in and it's legitimate and they're entitled to vote. No excuse mail-in voting, as it was implemented in the battleground states by the time they were all done, effectively amounts to just mailing out ballots, even in many cases when they're not requested, to names that they pull from voting, well, not even from voting lists, from databases that the states have, DMV lists, anything they have. No effort to check them, validate them, audit them. And then simultaneously with that, all of the measures to determine the validity of what comes back in the mail were stripped out. Signature verification gone. Deadlines for receipt gone. Postmark checks. If you can't read the postmark, you presume it was mailed in time. On and on and on. Okay, so we send teams all over the world to teach people how to conduct fair elections. We've been doing that for many, many years. Our specific line as the United States of America, our official policy has been mail-in voting will inevitably lead to massive electoral fraud. We have taught every nation on earth that if you move to mail-in voting, you will have no idea who won your election. A bipartisan commission in 2007 chaired by Jimmy Carter, co-chaired by Jimmy Carter, said precisely the same thing. Everybody who ever looked at this said, 
If you move to mass market mail-in voting like this, it's electoral theft, it's electoral fraud, you'll have no idea what happened. Okay, in all these battleground states like Pennsylvania, we did it anyway. And HR1, in effect, says, we're going to make that the law of the United States of America. We're going to implement this nationwide so that we will never have an election result we can trust again in the history of this republic. That's that's what it means quite literally. That's the, Those are the stakes. Absolutely, they are. And I've encouraged our listeners in the past, in your own state, most states, at least red states, are working on election integrity legislation here in the great state of Texas. We had uh, Texas State Senator Bob Hall on two or three weeks ago running through his bill. There are other bills pending. And I'll tell you another trick of the establishment, even the Republican side, which is to say, oh, yeah, yeah, election integrity. We got it. Yeah, we're all over it. We have a great bill. And there are numerous bills floating around. At the end of the day, you can do a lot of uh, nibbling at the edges to make improvements in election law that sound like they're going to be very uh, consequential. But if you leave out the important things, if you don't tackle the main problems in election fraud, which in Texas, uh, with respect to mail-in ballots was a big hassle this most recent time, although generally speaking, we don't do that many unsolicited mail-in ballots. But it's not enough just to call your state senator or representative once and say, hey, please support election integrity. You need to get into the meat of it. What are, are the bills proposing? And many of the reasons, that, things that need to happen in Texas, I think, are reduced early election. We don't need early voting. We don't need this massive period of time early voting ending the break between early voting and election day voting. So because that was a place in there between any election, uh, early election and election day where the data was was um, was um, infiltrated, you know, the election uh, integrity, uh, electronic election fraud occurred in that time period, the shifting of data, which has been presented, uh, can't, can't get a court to look at it yet, but they're still working on that. Uh, it matters what the bills say. They ha- You have to be really insistent on the things that need to change. I would like to see paper ballots only for a while. I don't know if that'll ever happen, but that's my, and I think to start with that and insist paper ballots only will be, go a long way. We could talk about this uh, for hours, but I do want to turn to another topic. Um, Sam Faddis, you had a great article up, and um, this, I think I called this happy segment, uh, Education Instilling Tribalism. And I was talking in the start of the show about why, how the left is so successful in planting hatred um, against Trump, uh, President Trump, Rush Limbaugh, many conservatives, and they appeal to the um, the seeming human spirit of tribalism. And they want to, they define people by their race, ethnicity, national origin, pit them against each other. It is, it is, uh, you know, left wing tact, you know, politics, left wing tactics 101. But it starts actually and has infiltrated the schools in which, where we are turning away from teaching the substance of things that must be learned, uh, that you know, reading, writing, arithmetic, science, all the things kids need to know to function in life. And instead we're having public school dollars and time spent talking about and instilling in children the idea that your very identity is your skin color. You are a great piece called Easier to, uh, you Sam, uh, Easier to Fail, our students, that is, it was in your AND magazine. Before I get into that, tell our listeners about AND magazine, please. I meant to let you do that, and then we'll talk about this piece. Well, one of the, rent, the many things that I'm involved in is, is, along with my wife and a number of other people, running a magazine called AndMagazine.com. And, and the, the purpose of AND magazine, I guess, put simply, is to tell the truth. I mean, we just sort of uh, are... The way I look at it is when I was an intelligence officer, it was my job to tell people in Washington, D.C., what was really happening 
they could then decide what they were going to do policy-wise. They could ignore my messages. They could ignore the intelligence I sent. But that wasn't going to change the fact that I was going to call it as I saw it, and I was going to tell them the truth, straight up, unfiltered, unslanted. That's what Ann Magazine is. I mean, when I sit down to write, I'm just, look, I'm, I'm going to tell you what's going on. Joe, Joe, Joe Biden is a creature of the Chinese. He was bought and paid for a number of years ago. He's compromised, and he's taking orders in effect, and I'm not really exaggerating. I really mean that directly. Uh, from Beijing. So that's 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 the reality, folks. And if you want to pretend otherwise and ignore Hunter's laptop, which I have a copy of, etc., that's fine. But it doesn't change the fact that I'm going to tell you what's what's going on. And that's the way we pursue everything at the end every day. I love that. And some other show, when we talk about China, I'd love to have you on because I read some of your pieces related to China. And we actually have guests coming on next week. Um, several different people related to China. One is a gentleman who was a Chinese citizen. Um, he's He's been helping Christians escape from China named Bob Fu, F-U is his last name. And another guy from Kazakhstan who's been rescuing the Uyghurs who are the enslaved Muslim population in these camps in China. He's been rescuing them. He's in America to talk about, let me tell you what China's really like. So love to do that. But I want to talk about this education thing because it kind of ties into you know, how do we get here? Going back to my point when the opening, when we had Rush Limbaugh talking about the most basic American ideas that everyone knew for decades was were the ideas of America and somehow they're viewed as hateful. So in, the, in our public schools, we spend so much time teaching children to think of themselves as their skin color, not as their identity. And so you, you had a piece, it referred to the William D. Kelly Public Elementary School. This is a Philadelphia story but having fifth grade students simulate a black power rally and a free Angela Davis from prison rally. Um, and they, this teacher designed the entire social studies curriculum to celebrate Angela Davis. And who, by the way, back Joe Biden, um, I digress. Back to Angela Davis. So what is your, uh, you know, just go ahead and kind of give a summary. What, what do you see as problematic about having that in a public school curriculum in Philadelphia? Yeah, well, everything. I, 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 I should add, you know, as a preface here, look, I, I go back to the days when before we were immersed in working Islamic terrorist groups, we were working Marxist Leninist groups and CIA. I cut my teeth working against European terrorist groups and spent a lot of time on the street with that. So I know my marks and I know my angles and uh, I have waded around in this ideology for a long time and including the Chinese variant. When, when Marx created his crazy communist manifesto of madness, it, he envisioned a society divided upon these class lines, the bourgeois, the proletariat. Okay, we don't need to get lost in that. But when Mao came along and those guys, what they did was they envisioned dividing society along other lines, having to do with ethnicity, having to do with race. And this became a specific tactic of Marxists. And I mean Marxist, I mean that term literally, I'm not using it as some sort of metaphor. You, to divide a society along these kinds of lines, to break you up, black, white, whatever, religious, whatever fault line they can find, this is a mechanism for destroying and dividing a society and creating a revolution. So there is nothing accidental about what is happening with this ideology is what I'm saying. This ideology being pushed this way has a specific purpose. 
the specific, you know, a lot of times when we write it and what I try to do is look for concrete examples to illustrate abstract principles, because I think people can wrap their heads around it better. And this is, we're just talking about a specific elementary school in Philadelphia. They, they are lucky if 13% of their kids finish, leave the school having achieved proficiency in anything. Essentially, they teach their kids nothing. They turn them off and set them off to middle school unable to read, unable to write, and unable to do basic arithmetic. But what they do have a lot of time to do is teach them, they're 94, 95% of the kids are black, this ideology that they are trapped in a racist, white supremacist society, and they glorify openly Angela Davis, Huey Newton, members of the Black Panthers, who advocated, and could, I mean, the organization in its modern form continues to advocate, armed revolution. And in fact, the Black Panthers were responsible for at least 19 murders of police officers. And I think if you ask anybody, they'll tell you the real number is north of 30, mm -hmm. but they could never actually concretely tie to them. They are a murderous, direct, domestic terrorist organization. And the little kids in this elementary school who can't read and can't write are being taught, these are your role models and this is who you should emulate happening right now in a public school in Philadelphia. And by the way, it's not one elementary school because it's the policy of the entire school district for the whole city that is consistent with everything that's happening in that school. You talk, you know, we've been talking in my show uh, for a long, long time about the crescendo, the growing communist Marxist takeover of America and how we had you know, the communists back in the 1920s recognizing really hard to convince America to embrace communism because actually freedom seems to work pretty well here. And so you have the focus on race. We talk about Manning Johnson's work, the gentleman, the black American who joined the communist party because they told him, oh yeah, communism is here to help rescue black America uh, and to get, so make things better. So you feel treated fairly. And he stayed part of the communist party for decades, was a spokesman and then wrote the book, I don't have it from me, communism, common sense, I forget what it was. Anyway, it has three C's with the title of it. He basically said he finally realized the Communist Party of America was using him, a black American, Manning Johnson, to push their message out, to lure black Americans to support communism. And they didn't care one little bit about black America, about the conditions of his life or black Americans' life. It was entirely, he was being used as a pawn for their push to take over America. It's a really concrete example of what you're describing, Manning Johnson's work and I mean, many others. Anyway, so back to this thing about public education. It's also an indicator of the Marxist infiltration of America, where you had, you have, you know, communists are very, uh, in fact, we had Trevor Loudon on the show, I don't know what it was, a few weeks ago, talking about this idea. Communists are very dedicated. Never, they, they never give up. They've got a plan, they're going to carry it out. And part of what they had was the infiltration of America's education system, infiltration of academia, culture, and, and, and Hollywood everywhere. And America saw the outcome of that and thought, wow, I guess maybe America's trending kind of socialist. Who knew? As though they, they saw it as an, as, a, as an organic thing occurring when, from the communist perspective, it was very intentional. But in the public schools, this isn't happening because these uh, Philadelphia public schools happen to hire randomly a bunch of leftists. This is, this is an ongoing larger mission. And I want to ask you to speak to that. Ongoing larger mission of communism to just take over the way, it would, because what happens is it's what all of our young people then believe is true. This is what they're raised to think America is. 
Yeah, well, as you say, this is this is going on, has been going on for many decades, and it goes on across all of academia, and throughout a number of other our institutions. This is again, I mean, there's nothing new about any of this. I mean, the the press, by and large, doesn't discuss it, and it has somehow not been a topic of national conversation. But frankly, this is the way communist organizations, Marxist organizations have always worked, have always infiltrated institutions. This is, you know, this is this is the way this is the way it is done and they are doing it very effectively. Back to kind of the reference where we started the conversation, we were talking about, you know, people need to roll up their sleeves, get engaged in politics, this kind of thing. The folks we are fighting against here um, do that. They 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 are committed to achieving a result. And they are going to do whatever is necessary to achieve that result. Doesn't necessarily mean walking up to somebody and saying, hey, by the way, I'm a communist and I would like you to become a communist too. Whatever you need to hear and whatever is the key that's going to open that lock and whatever is the most palatable way to approach you, that's the way it's going to be couched. So you were making reference to an African-American gentleman who was pulled into this. Well, what's the way to approach him? The way to approach him is because undoubtedly he has experienced prejudice and racism and in his life, and therefore you present this as a solution to that. Uh, for these little kids in the elementary school being presented and to their parents being presented as it's it's kind of, it's gonna be okay, we're gonna have a revolution or it's not your fault or uh, some sort of easy way out of it. I mean, in the end, as you said, I don't really care about the people that are being used here. I mean, if you think about the elementary school, it's the ultimate form of betrayal. These little kids in an economically depressed part of Philadelphia who have no access to private education being turned loose in a high-tech economy where knowledge is everything. If you cared about them and you really wanted them to advance, you would make sure they left that school top skills, English, math, everything else, go out and make great lives for themselves. You would not betray them. But then again, you don't, you don't really care about that. That's not what... The goal is not helping them. The goal is the revolution. Absolutely true. The only thing that's great and kind of new now is I think because in 2016, the leftists really thought they had they were headed on the path of a Hillary Clinton victory. She was going to continue the Obama era, you know, kind of more a stark, more open turn to radical leftism in this country. And, and so because that didn't happen and Donald Trump got elected and he, even perhaps not deeply ideologically rooted, he just had love of America, love of freedom, this is who we are. And the American people just rose up and said, yes, yes, we're, we're with that, we, we'll take that. And it, it's, it caused it. it, it was a big stumble for the leftist movement in this country. And I think it's caused many Americans, like this conversation today and many others are having, many other Americans to realize this is really what's happening to my country. There isn't just this random, organic, wow, I guess we're becoming a little more leftist. We're being faced with an uh, unspoken, um, at this point, nonviolent war, but it is a war to take over our country and waking people up is the battleground you're describing in so many ways. Two other quick things about schools, to our listeners. One, I, there was a story out of Illinois I've been following with the state of Illinois, or I guess the, the uh, Chicago, no, it was this whole state of Illinois had, um, 
a vote was yesterday in the legislature, a vote in the legislature about whether or not to go ahead and implement a proposed new rule that was called culturally responsive education rule. It's basically the idea teachers had to be in training teachers in the future. There's a whole new curriculum culturally responsive and all it basically was was the same kind of thing we're talking with Sam Fattis about. It is instilling within the curriculum uh, for uh, subjects across the board instilling the notions of race, ethnicity, national origin, very leftist ideology, very leftist approach to everything. And so in the Illinois legislature, party line vote, left of course voted for all of this, which is will bring the same kind of things as Angela Davis rallies are bringing to Philadelphia. My point in telling it is you're mentioning Sam Philadelphia, this is Illinois, and then we had in New York, I sent to Matt, the wonderful producer, right before we started, uh, a, a uh, one-page clip. I just want to quick ask him to put it up. This was sent home. So you can see this thing. This was sent home to uh, parents in New York City schools where basically they were asked to examine their whiteness, like to assess their whiteness, tell us, you know, to, to asking white parents to reflect on their whiteness. And so it's a scale you can see, you, I don't think you can read it that well. Anyway, it's a scale running from whether you are white supremacist or a white abolitionist or somewhere in between. The premise is white parents have an identity and, and you, you're, it's a problem that you exist and that you're white and you better look at this chart, decide who you are and decide you know, what you're going to do about it. So I don't know, Sam, did you follow this story at all about what was yeah. sent home in New York City? You want to offer some comments about it? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, particularly about this New York thing that was sent home. It's this scale and basically uh, the, the way the scale works, as I recall, um, the highest grade you can get on the scale, I guess, is the way to characterize it. In other words, when you've achieved maximum wokeness and you're the most enlightened is you you, you get to become a white traitor. Um, and when you're a white traitor, basically, it means you recognize that by virtue of being white, uh, whatever the heck that means, by the way. But anyway, um, you are inherently bad and evil and everything in society is essentially your fault. And I'm not making that up. That's literal. And therefore, and you you accept that and then essentially dedicate your life to making up for that, apologizing for it and so forth. It is racist, and, and, but it is a real document sent home by a school, at least by an official or a teacher with a school district and, and, it, and prepared by folks. And I've seen it elsewhere on the internet. This represents a real thing, a real attitude that is actually spoken publicly by otherwise supposedly sane people that they're so supposed to demand that you accept the fact that because once you're of European descent, I guess, you are inherently bad. It, it, there's no way to characterize that other than overt, horrifying racism. I mean, substitute any other ethnic term for the word white in that diagram and then tell me that anybody would even begin to entertain the possibility in modern America that this is palatable that your ambition is to become a black traitor and recognize that being of African descent makes you inherently bad or an Asian traitor, whatever terms we want to use. It, it, it's insane and it's overtly racist. And it's back to what I was referring to earlier. It's like, look, man, it, you want to, you want to, if I'm sitting there in the school district and you want to hand this thing to you, 
my response is going to be, I'm not listening to you. What I am doing is hiring an attorney. What I am doing is filing a complaint. Uh, I expect we have a colorblind society and I have the exact same rights as everybody else. And the black guy sitting next to me should not have to put up with anything like that. And neither am I. Like that's, we're, we're not accepting that. No, um, we are all Americans. Stop. Stop trying to tear us up and divide us and balkanize us. I love yours that you use the word balkanize us. This, uh, this long-term mission of the leftists in this country been going on since 1920s, what do you want to call the starting point of destroying this country. A lot of it has been one of the tactics, the main tactics, is to balkanize us, divide us, cause people to be, whether it's economic, um, you know, sense that we're, life isn't fair because uh, we have economic differences, we have uh, skin color, race, ethnicity, national origin, it is to divide Americans into silos and then tell each silo that the other people are your problem, they don't like you, they, they would mistreat you, they, they don't respect you, and you work, you work the society into a tizzy, and this has been what has happened, especially in the last four years, or really the last one year, the final year of the Trump administration, just an effort to, to just divide America into, into irrational anger and hatred uh, to the detriment of all of America. So uh, this, uh, first of all, Sam Fattis, I'm so grateful you're available. I just want to commend your writing again to our listeners and your and magazine online and magazine.com.com. And yes. give you a chance, a parting uh, shot about what, what do you do in America to, uh, I, I think I called your segment, you know, Sam Fattis and how we rescue America. So parting thoughts. Look, just get up and roll up your sleeves and get to work. And that's true of everybody. I mean, they, these folks are not, that are tearing the country apart are not 10 feet tall. They're not superhuman. Uh, if you stand around watching and then want to complain afterward, yeah, they're going to manage to pull off a number of things. But they can be stopped. They can be replaced. They, we, we can, we can win this fight, and we have to win the fight. And the fight is for everybody. I mean, I have a, I got a picture that I keep in my office of my team in Iraq, and it's like fifty guys and gals when we were there in the winter of '02. And I, you know, I see that picture every day. And those are brothers and sisters. Everybody who's ever been downrange has had the same experience. All right, some of them are black, some of them are Hispanic, some of them are descendants of Vietnamese boat people, white people, Jews, Christians, several of them are Muslim. That's America, right? I mean, that that it's it's not a white thing, it's not a black thing, it's not a brown thing. That's that's America. And they they want to tear us into pieces and turn us against each other and and sh and shred us that way. And we just don't let them I mean, to do what Americans have always done, just stand up and fight back and we will win. Won't be easy, but we will win. And on that note, Sam Fast again, thank you so very much for joining me today on America Can We Talk. Thank you. I'm so glad you could join us. Okay, one last quick segment, my very fine friends, before we get rolling. I call this last segment, Join the America Tribe. I just wanna say this about that. Everyone on the left tries very hard to convince people that they must belong in some tribe. Another tribe we even talk about today is women. There's so much effort from the leftists to call to treat women as though you are the ones, you are victims, that you're, you're going to be victimized in education, in employment, in society. And so you're urged to join the 
the uh, female silo of people. And the thing with our country right now, what we face in this country, which is truly watching whether or not we can maintain America the free, America the, the country of our founding, or we're going to turn America the Marxist, it takes every American who understands that to just simply resist any effort to tribalize you, to segment you, you got a claim for yourself. The only tribe I want to be is a, the America tribe. I want to support the founding ideas of America, the whole notion of the declaration that we all are created equal by God, that we have rights simply because we were born. Not because of who our parents were, how much wealth they had, or when our ancestors came to America, because you're an American, because you're a person, because the rights spelled out in the beginning of the Declaration, they were really a declaration of what the founders saw to be the absolute rights of man everywhere. We just built a country around those ideas, but you've got to join the America tribe and recognize that every effort to tear down the America tribe, to divide us, to tear down the founding ideals, whether they are the ideals of equal rights for all, the rule of law, the notion of justice and a justice system that treats everyone the same, the Bill of Rights and the promise of our founders that you have these rights because you're an American. That's the tribe to join. It's a tribe of ideas, a tribe of America, and reject the tribe of the left because this is the battle we're in. Are we going to have America the free or not? And on this show, and every time I do this show, I try to tell you through all the different issues we talk about, the experts we have on, whether issues are tax or national security or border security, immigration, at the core, it, at the core right now, the job of every patriot in this country is to stand up for the idea of America. That's our job. At the close of every show, I try to tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So today's, we started out our first segment about Trump and Limbaugh. And on Trump and Limbaugh, um, we have Limbaugh's passing and the leftist reaction of vile, vicious, rabid, angry hate. I decided to spare you and not put it up and show you some of the things being said. Deserve serious examination. What in the world causes human beings to behave this way? Racist, bigot, sexist, homophobe. These are constant caricatures and none of it was true of Limbaugh or Trump. Callous Rush listeners recount being utterly baffled by the disconnect between what they were told they would hear and what they actually heard when they watched, and, and, and by the way, you can watch the whole Rush speech at CPAC on our website, americacanwetalk.org, on the homepage under shows, drop down list of links, put the whole link up there. A stark reminder that Trump isn't the first and isn't unique in causing hysterical hatred in response to an America first, America's great, America loving, political philosophy. Americans are waking up. The leftist alternative to love of America is pure poison, individually and collectively. Americans massively rejected leftism in November of 2020. Trump MAGA got 12 million more votes in 2016, but Americans' will is being ignored and violated. That's why election fraud must be investigated. Before you get off this slide, Matt, hold on, let's keep that slide right there. Two things I want to tell you guys. One is um, there is more litigation coming related to the election, electronic election fraud. That's more litigation coming. And the second is, you know that when Trump ran and in 2020 and he had, he was told by his his um his team uh, that, you know, he said, what do I need to win in terms of numbers? He had 62 million in 2016. And they told him, if you can get 3 million more, you know, if you can get 3 million, you're golden, you'll win this for sure. And he got 74 million. 
and somehow he lost. I don't think so. Okay, that's it in that slide. Now the next slide I want to share with you. Education instills tribalism, which is just an evil on steroids. Tribalism is the worst thing ever. Public school stories from Chicago, culturally responsive education rule means social activism as education. New York City parents must rate themselves in terms of white supremacist attitudes and Philadelphia elementary school children play actor rally for freeing Angela Davis, a dangerous, murderous communist. This is tribalism, group identity politics on steroids. It's not about learning to read and write. This is a fundamental denial of the self-evident truths articulated in America's founding documents. All are created equal by God. All are endowed by God as individuals with rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This is why alarms are sounding about the ongoing Marxist overthrow of America. The Marxist communists know exactly what they're doing. Do the USA elected officials understand? Do they care enough to stop it? Early answers are not encouraging, but that's why we got to stay in the fight. And joining the American tribe, the America tribe, the starkness of the choices and directions are becoming clear. This is not a debate at the margins of modestly different worldviews. This is communism versus freedom. This is about tribalism versus the primacy of the individual. This is about faith versus raw, empty materialism. This is America versus not America. Human history shows that American ideals have produced the most moral, harmonious, prosperous, and technologically advanced culture on earth. Not perfect, but vastly superior to anything else. America needs to stick with her founding ideals. Americans need to stay with the America tribe. And that, my very fine friends, is America Can We Talk for today. And this is our last day, I hope, with doing the show from home back in the real studio on Monday with uh, our real studio background. But I'm so grateful to Matt, the wonderful producer who helped do the show this week while we're home with our bad weather in Dallas and grateful we could get this done all week long. Well, thank you for tuning in to America Can We Talk every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time. I do this show to speak truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Talk Truth About America. Can you-